0: Do you remember uh, those, that cereal, uh, alphabets? Uh, I don't know if they make it anymore, uh, but back in the day, you know, my mom always uh, gave me alphabets, and uh, she, she said I liked it, uh, but I, I just think she's putting words in my mouth. <laughs> oh, man. I apologize. But let me ask you, how many of y'all come from a perfect family? Let me see your hands. You come from a perfect family. Uh, don't instruct your kids to raise your hands. That's terrible. You know, I figured there'd be a couple of kids maybe raise their hands, you know, but uh, that's not the way to get good Christmas presents. If you want to upgrade your Christmas presents, kids, uh, uh, do the dishes. Uh, clean your room. You know, maybe, maybe that'll upgrade your Christmas presents. But, you know, I, I didn't come from a perfect family either. And uh, maybe you're, you feel like uh, your family is sort of like Rodney Dangerfield talked about his family. He said that he, he looked up his family tree one time and there were two dogs using it. Um, but, you know, I actually gave my dad a sign. He has it up in his, in his uh, uh, living room. And the sign uh, says, My gene pool could use a little chlorine. And he, he loves that sign. He says, You don't know how true that is, you know? Um, So if you don't come from a perfect family, that's okay. Uh, Neither do I. And uh, you're in good company, actually. Some of the most messed up families you'll ever come across are right there in your Bible. In fact, some of the heroes of the Bible uh, really had some messed up families. And we're going to meet one of those today. And it's uh, the family of Noah. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, Pastor. I remember you were were saying just uh, last week or so, uh, that Noah had a great family, that Noah raised his kids right. You know, that Noah spent all this time uh, not only having offspring, three boys, but he raised them to be good sons. And they they saw the the temperament in him. They saw the perseverance in him as he was building the ark and, and uh, going through everything that he was going through. And so, you know, here's Noah. You said that he raised his sons right. And now you're telling me he's got a dysfunctional family. And, and Both of those things are actually true. Noah did raise raise a good family. He did raise his sons, right? Um, But there's something you need to understand about your family. Uh, Your family uh, does not necessarily determine everything that is about your character. You see, any one of our hearts can become corrupt, right? At any time in our lives, any one of our hearts can become corrupt. And if any of our hearts can become corrupt, so can any of our kids' hearts. They can become corrupt as well, and that's what happened apparently to one of Noah's three sons. So we're going to meet Noah's family today, and we're going to go on a a little journey uh, down a path of, uh, unfortunately, I think, some devastating corruption that happened in his family. But in the end, we're going to see how God's grace can overcome the issues that our family has. So let's meet this family of Noah's, okay? And so first of all, we have Noah, and uh, here's, a, here's a good picture of him. And uh, so Noah, of course, had a wife. Uh, some people think that uh, uh, some ancient Jewish uh, literature uh, teachings believe that Noah's wife was uh, named uh, Namah, and uh, that's actually a woman that's listed in one of the genealogies earlier in uh, Genesis, and maybe that's true. Uh, But there's uh, Noah's wife, and they had three sons. Uh, Shem is one of their sons, and there's a good picture of him. And then Ham is another one of their sons. He's sort of got a funny name. Uh, But uh, Ham had a son by the name of Canaan. In fact, all these guys had multiple sons, but one of them in our story today in Genesis 9 is this uh, guy named Canaan. And then you have the third of Noah's sons, Japheth. And so, here's Noah's entire family, and uh, you're probably thinking, well, Pastor David, that's amazing. How were you able to get pictures of Noah's family? And you're probably thinking, uh, DeLorean, flux capacitor, 88 miles an hour, time travel, uh, almost, almost. Uh, actually what I had was some stock images on my computer of some Bible characters, and so I ascribed these names to them. Uh, So anyway, this is Noah's family, and I've created these images not just uh, for a little bit of uh, uh, sad attempt at humor, but I want to show you something uh, with these images and how this family tree is related to one another. And it seems pretty normal. Here's a guy and his wife, three kids, at least one grandson, but things quickly take a dark and disturbing turn. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 18 through 29. In today's uh, passage, uh, I'm uh, changing things up just a little bit. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible because it more properly translates a particular phrase that's very important in this story. And so... If you uh, want to follow along, the scriptures will be on the slides behind me. Uh, Now the sons of Noah, who came out of the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine... And became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that, so that they did not see the, their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew. What his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years. After the flood, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. This is a strange story. And if you followed along on the screen behind me, you saw that Noah did not curse the son that did the bad deed. Instead, he cursed that son's son, which seems to be unusual. And seems to make me have a little bit of pity on this poor kid, Canaan. He didn't do anything wrong, his dad did. What's the story here? What's going on? So is this simply a story about Noah, the patriarch of the family, uh, getting uh, drunk and naked and embarrassed and handing out some curses? Well, let's see if this story makes sense that way. So here's a recap of the story if we understand it that way. Noah plants a vineyard. A vineyard is literally a yard full of vines. Vines produce what? Grapes. Grapes produce juice. You ferment the juice, it becomes wine. Very good. One of the kids over here understands all about alcohol. Good job. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Noah makes his own wine. He's a moonshiner. He's from the south, apparently, okay? He's making, he's making his own stuff. And he gets drunk. He gets naked. Well, Ham, his son, sees what's happening, and he giggles to himself, according to this understanding. And he goes outside to where his brothers are, outside the tent. And he says, hey, check this out. Dad's drunk and naked. And his other sons are more honorable than he was. And so his other sons, they take a garment and they spread it out, each holding a side. And and they walk backward to cover up their dad. In fact, they turn their their head away so they don't see their dad in his drunken, naked state. Well, Noah, as uh, any of you might know, if you've ever been... uh, Uh, intoxicated to the point where you pass out you eventually wake up and you may have something called what's that a hangover that's right a hangover and he knows automatically what his son ham did to him somehow even though he was drunk and asleep and all this stuff he wakes up he sees the blanket on himself and he knows what his son ham did to him and so then he decides I'm going to curse Ham's son, Canaan. Well, it seems like we're missing something to this story. And if it seems that way, then maybe we are. Let's go back and look at a couple of clues that might help us out here. First of all, look at verse 18 and look at verse 22. I've underlined it on the screen behind me so you can see. Uh, very clearly. So we're learning this story for the first time, let's say. And it says, Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Hashem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Wait a minute. Why is Canaan getting a shout out here? What's so, what's, the good, what's the big deal about him? Ham had a bunch of sons. In fact, all three of them had a bunch of sons. What's so important about Canaan that he gets a big shout-out right here at the very outset of the story after they come off of the ark and God and Noah have a covenant together. And then he jumped down to verse 22. Here's another shout-out for Canaan. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. What does Canaan have to do with Ham's actions? It doesn't make any sense. Why is Canaan getting pointed out here? And so we have this situation. One of Ham's many sons were mentioned. Zero of Shem's sons were mentioned. Zero of Japheth's sons were mentioned. There must be a reason for mentioning Canaan. And I think that there is. But let's move on to clue number two. There's some strange terminology in this story. I'll point it out to you. In verse 20, it says that Noah uncovered himself. Sort of a strange term. It doesn't say he took off his clothes. He uncovered himself. It says that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. And then Shem and Japheth, they did the opposite of the previous two verses on the screen. Shem and Japheth, Covered the nakedness of their father. There's a very specific language, and you know it might just seem well. Maybe that's just how they talked back in the old days or something. Uh, but but when you come across some language in a Bible story that seems to be unusual, seems to be curious, it, it's a lot of times it's a good idea to let the Bible interpret itself. The Bible has a really good way of interpreting itself. You know, and so if you can see how these types of terms are used elsewhere, it can help perhaps interpret the passage that you're trying to read. And so let's see where these types of terms are used elsewhere. The first time, of course, that we hear about the idea of being naked is in Genesis chapter 2, the very last verse of of that chapter. God had made Adam, created Adam out of the dust of the earth, and God made the woman. He built the woman from the side, from the rib of the man, and he woke up from his uh, sleep and saw this woman there, and voila, boom, Adam's extremely happy. He finally has someone that to share life with, and, uh, and then in, we read in the very last verse of that little story these words, And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Okay? They were naked and not ashamed. Well, what happens next in the story? Chapter 3 of Genesis. Adam and Eve mess up. They commit sin against God. Eve is deceived. Adam walks headlong right into sin. He knows what to do and what not to do and he does the wrong thing he willfully chooses to do the wrong thing and so Adam and Eve sinned and then after Adam and Eve sinned what happened they understood the difference between good and evil why because that's the tree they ate from they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil giving them the knowledge of what is good and what is evil previously they were in a state of mental innocence they didn't know They didn't know evil until they tasted of it, literally. And so now they understand what evil is. And by extension, they understand what good is. Good is not doing evil. And so now they have this understanding of good and evil. And along with this understanding of good and evil, what's the first thing they try to do? They get some fig leaves together. They try to cover themselves the best they can with what they got. Why? Because now that sin is in the world, now that they have an understanding of good and evil, their nakedness brings them shame. That was not so in chapter 2, when the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. But now their nakedness brings them shame. And so after sin enters the world, that phrase, that idea, to uncover nakedness, means to bring shame upon someone. And uh, we come to a very specific usage of that term in, in a very specific way that that's used in Leviticus chapter 18. In Leviticus 18 The Lord is giving instructions as to sexual boundaries within the family. And the Lord says, None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. That is, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. What's going on here? Even in the New Testament, we are told this about a man and his wife. That if you're married, your body doesn't belong to you. If you're married, your body belongs to your spouse. If a man is married, his body belongs to his wife. If a woman is married, her body belongs to her husband. For the man, her nakedness belongs to him. Her nakedness is his. In a possessive way. It is his nakedness. This is how closely united a man and his wife are. And so this phrase in Leviticus chapter 18, this phrase of uncovering nakedness, it doesn't mean you accidentally stumble into the bathroom when someone's coming out of the shower and you see something you shouldn't see. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that there's some type of, an, of engagement of activity that happens that is unclothed. There's some type of unclothed activity that brings shame upon the person that is unclothed. So something is happening, there's an action happening that is bringing shame upon the unclothed person. And so, a man's wife belongs to the man. Her nakedness belongs to him. Her nakedness is his nakedness. And so, this idea of uncovering nakedness, it's, it's a figure of speech, it's an idiom. It means more than simply what's there. And uh, to give you a figure of speech, if I said to you, hey, that Mark Adams, man, he's a good basketball coach. Texas Tech, and you replied, "You can take that to the bank." That's an idiom. It's not meant to be taken exactly literally. It doesn't mean that I should then go and pick up Mark Adams, put him in my car, and take him to my bank. You know that that would make me an idiot, not an idiom. Okay, and so you don't do that. Uh, but so in, it's an idiom. To uncover nakedness is an idiom. Like here in Texas, there's a difference between. Uh, being naked and getting naked. All right, being naked means you have no clothes on. Perhaps you're taking a shower. Getting naked, getting naked means that there may be some type of uh, conjugal implications going on. Okay, in your nakedness. So here's what I think happened when uh, all of this story unfolded. Noah gets drunk and he gets unclothed. He is naked, and Ham, it says, saw it. And there's a very good chance, because of this idiom, that when Ham saw it, he did more than simply see it. There's a very good chance that Ham probably did something he shouldn't have done. Either to Noah, or perhaps to Noah's nakedness. To know his wife. Now why would Ham, if that is indeed the interpretation, there's many interpretations about what Ham may have done in this situation. But if that is one, if that happens to be the right one, why would Ham, would Ham have done something like that? Well, if that is indeed what happened, it may have been in an attempt to gain greater power and control over the world. These three boys, these three sons of Noah, they rule the world, literally. And it will be their descendants who rule the world. It could have been a power play to make sure that Ham's descendants get more. And if this is what happened then Canaan may have been the byproduct of Ham's actions. Pretty disturbing story. If this is the case, then Ham brags to his brothers about what he did, and they take a garment, and they go in, and they walk backwards, and they cover up Noah's nakedness. Noah wakes up, figures out what happened, and then he curses Canaan and if this is exactly what happened he curses the byproduct of Ham's actions now however you want to interpret this disturbing story I I think it's pretty clear this is not one of the finer moments in biblical hero history so what can we take away from this couple of lessons number one from Noah it's a deep one don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. You know, I'm, I'm 53 years old. And uh, my wife tells me that's very old. And uh, so I'm, 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 I'm pretty old, okay? In all my years of living, I cannot recall one instance of when someone uh, got drunk and then good things happened. You know, it just doesn't seem to go that direction. When you get drunk, apparently bad things happen. If someone comes to me for counseling, and they, the first thing they tell me is, Pastor David, the other night I got drunk, in my mind, immediately, the orchestra playing the music of the movie that I'm about to watch in my mind begins to play very dark and foreboding music. Something bad is about to happen because of the drunkenness of the person. Liquid courage has a tendency, both in the Bible and in real life, to lead to nakedness. It just does. It's amazing. And nakedness has a, a tendency to lead to shame. Best advice I could give you is to cut out the source. Okay? Don't get drunk. A lot of people say, well, don't drink and drive. I say don't drink at all. Um, You know, it seems to have worked for me uh, not to drink at all. Um, There's something about being sober and having your faculties that is a good thing in life to have and to do. Second thing I would point out to you is this principle. Your family does not determine your relationship with God. That's both positive or negative. Okay? Noah was a righteous man. Not perfect. He did mess up. But Noah was a righteous man. The Bible in the New Testament, when it describes Noah, it doesn't describe Noah as Noah the great boat builder. I mean, that's what I would think of probably when I think of Noah. You know, this dude made a huge boat. This is incredible. You know, and saved, saved humanity by making this incredible boat. It took him 120 years to build it. The boat was seaworthy for, a, for a, a year. And what an incredible feat. I would think of Noah as a great boat builder. The New Testament calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. That's not how we usually think of him. But that's who Noah was. He did raise his sons right. There's no excuse for what Ham did, whatever it was. But you know what? Ham made his own decisions. Ham went his own way. And there's a lesson in that for you and me. You can do the right thing. You can raise your kids right. But God gives each of us free will. He gives us free will. And when our kids get to a certain age, they are perfectly capable of making bad choices in the same way a person can come from a not so great family a person could come from a messed up family a dysfunctional family some of you today when i ask the question do you come from a perfect family you're thinking far from it i wish i was more like my friend he's got a great family You know, or she's got a great family. I wish I had a a great mom and dad. I wish my mom and dad took me to church. I wish my mom and dad instructed me right. But, you know, my family's messed up, they might say. Listen to me. I've got something that you need to understand. That God's grace is greater than anyone in your family's sins. Your family does not determine your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is between you and Him and we all have the same capabilities through Christ of understanding who God is and turning from our sin and trusting in the Lord. I want you to think about Canaan, this guy Canaan. Here's Canaan. He didn't do anything against his granddad. His granddad comes out and curses Canaan, and Canaan's maybe sitting there thinking, Hey, Papa, it wasn't me. It was my dad. I didn't do this. But the curse came down anyway, and Canaan received the curse from Noah to be a servant to the other families. Well, listen to me. That's not the end of the story. You want to know the end of the story? We read about it in Revelation chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. John writes in this grand vision of of what's going on in the heavenly places, He says, after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes. Canaan was the leader of a tribe, a leader of nations, actually. From every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes. And palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. I want you to understand what Jesus Christ has done. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave and he ascended to to heaven, and when the Spirit of God came in Acts chapter 2, came upon the church and the people of God began proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a promise from Scripture here and elsewhere that that gospel will eventually reach all families. That doesn't mean everyone and every single family is going to be saved. But what it means is that there will be someone from every family of the earth at that time who is saved, including people from Canaan's line. Canaan received a curse that maybe was unfounded for him. But Jesus Christ on the cross took the curses upon himself, even the curse of sin and death upon himself, and he extends grace to everyone who would receive it. If you come from a family that is messed up, that has no bearing on what Jesus has done for you, God loves you. God wants to have A relationship with you. In fact, God loved the world so much, the Bible says, that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us into a right relationship with him. When Jesus died on the cross, he did that to pay for your sins, to pay for my sins. And when he rose from the grave, one of the great benefits is that you and I have eternal life. All that Jesus calls us to do is to trust Him. That means to believe in Him and to follow Him. And if we will do that, we will be children of God.